Hey Seacoast, a few months ago we began a new season of ministry called Next. Next is our current ministry season, the current vision of what we believe God has for Seacoast Church over the next two years. We really believe that our generosity and initiatives are going to set us up to see God do amazing things in the future. So I want to give you a quick update on what's been happening during these first few months of Next. Right now I'm standing at our brand new McClellanville campus, which is currently under construction. We're here in the worship center where we've been in the process of building a new stage, painting, updating the lighting, ripping out the carpet, getting the building ready for our brand new opening on Easter Sunday. The people at this campus are so excited. They've been meeting since before Christmas preparing for our official launch on Easter weekend. We're seeing an average attendance of just under 100 people on our core team right now. We've already seen one person get baptized and we're just so excited to see them continue to grow in numbers and be a blessing to this community. We've also partnered with Palmetto Medical Initiative during the winter. And Jason's going to tell you what's going on over there right now. So excited about our next campaign. I'm actually standing here in a medical facility in Chinandega, Nicaragua. And we just opened this and dedicated it yesterday. And it's going to be incredible. About 1,500 people will be seen here every single month. And in the future, we're going to continue to do some of the same things. And I'll be going um, tomorrow to another community here in Nicaragua to look for the next uh, medical facility that will start just in a few months and open up uh, again this year in uh, 2014. And we're just excited. We're going to continue to um, do medical projects, continue to do water projects and build schools and churches and economic development. And if when and if we bring all of those pieces together in a community, we see drastic change and we see uh, community development happen and lives change not just for today but for generations to come. And so thanks for your investment in Next and uh, in missions at Seacoast. Uh, I'm so excited about uh, the future and, and what's to come. You may be like me. Most of the time when I'm reading my Bible, I'm reading it off of my smartphone uh, through an application called the Bible app created by YouVersion. Well, recently YouVersion created a brand new app for kids. It's a Bible app for kids. And this app is awesome. It's an animated storybook with colorful illustrations, games, activities that are designed to help kids learn and remember stories from the Bible. We partnered with One Hope Ministry, uh, which is a ministry who's committed to bringing God's word to every child in the world, and sponsored the creation of one of the new stories within this app. It's exciting to think about the impact that this app, the small little app, is going to have on the next generation. I know it's already impacting my kids and my family. Seacoast is one church in many locations, and we are committed to caring as much about those who will be followers of Christ as those who already are. Your generous giving and commitment to Next is what enables us to do all of this. Here's the exciting thing. We're just getting started. This is a two-year initiative, and there's a lot that we've done already, but there's a lot more that we want to see get done. To date, your giving has us on pace to to receive 88% of what we believe it's going to cost us in order to fulfill the mission and the vision that God has given us over the next couple of years. That's a great start. So let's keep going strong and let's accomplish everything that God has set before us. You're going to hear this a lot from me, from Pastor Greg, from your campus pastors and others over the next couple of years. But thank you, Seacoast. Thank you for your generosity and for being committed to being a part of what's next. Some of you are are new to the church. Maybe you haven't got involved. I just want you to know everybody can be a part of this. Every gift, every dollar that comes into our offering over the next couple of years is going towards next. So we're going to keep you updated as we continue to see what God's going to do through next.
good morning, everybody. That's some exciting stuff. I want to welcome uh, those of you who are at an off-site campus right now, uh, or maybe in one of the venues here or online. We're glad that you're along uh, also. Here in Charleston, how many of you would rather be here than the best rainstorm that we can, we can have? Anybody? Yeah, I'm about tired of that. I'm ready for some sunshine, and we got a little bit of that today. I'm excited today uh, for several reasons. Uh, a lot of you know are aware that we have a church planting arm of our church called the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, started about 12 years ago. And as of last week, we planted 408 churches here, mostly in America, and that's kind of a cool deal. Let's give the Lord a hand for that. And um, this week is our annual conference uh, in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, sold out over 3,000 people. The guys from Need to Breathe are going to do some of the music. Martin's going to do some music, and it's just going to be an exciting time. And, and uh, what we've done is we've invited some of our partners here at Seacoast uh, here for the weekend. I was excited about 408 churches, which I am, until I talked to Pastor Francis, who's speaking this morning at the Dream Center, one of our partners in Togo, and they planted 1,300 last year. In one year, 1,300. Uh, but a couple of years ago, I went to uh, Belfast, uh, Northern Ireland, and spoke at a great church. Several, church or several services packed out, exciting stuff going on. And I'd already met the pastor, Andrew McCourt, a few years ago, but I was able to spend some time with him, really get to know his heart, get to know his family, love this guy. And I said, Andrew, why don't you partner with us? What if, what if there was an Ark Ireland and we planted life-giving churches all over Ireland and then the UK and on from there? He said, let's do it. He gathered together a group of influential pastors from Ireland. They just formed Ark Ireland just a few months ago. We're going to plant life-giving churches all over. How do you think that's a good idea? And, uh, and so I, here's even a better idea for today. I asked Andrew to come and just speak to us this weekend. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up. Let's give a huge Seacoast welcome to Andrew McCourt as he comes and uh, speaks to us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, what a privilege to be here on this wonderful weekend, and I need you to listen very carefully, because when you get to heaven, you're going to talk like this, okay? It will be God's gift to you in eternity. That's just what he's going to do. Um, absolutely brilliant. I want to say a big thanks to Pastor Greg and the staff for having me here. I bring you greetings from Ireland. Um, first of all, from my wife, Isabel, who actually happens to be French, everyone. Ooh la la. And uh, that's going really, really well. And uh, we have actually four children and our motto is for no more. And I thought I was doing well until I met Pastor Joyce, who's only 32 years old and got five children, everyone. That is like a campus in itself, all right? Amazing guy, really absolutely amazing. So we've got four children and uh, we're just keeping everyone guessing back home with that volume of kids. They don't know if we're uh, good Catholics or sloppy Protestants. They're not sure... <laughs> 
what's quite happening at the moment. So I've got uh, Ben, who's my oldest boy. He is uh, 17 years old, bigger than me, and it's good for a bodyguard. And then I've got Dan, who's 15. And then I've got my only girl, Abigail. And Abigail means father's joy. And that's what she is to me. And uh, really on that note, I was so thrilled the other day because Pastor Greg brought me shooting. And, um, and I think I'm going to get myself a gun. How many fathers agree with me? And uh, she's only 11, but I can start polishing it every day. And, um, and so, uh, and then I've got one other boy, and his name is Nathan. He's nine years old, and he's like the king of the one-liners. And uh, a couple of years ago, he was just sitting on the sofa and watching television. And just out of the blue, he just announces, he said, Daddy, see, when I get older, I'm not going to get married. I'm just going to stay peaceful. <laughs> And I said, Nathan, you mean single? He said, no, peaceful. (laughs) And peaceful is a really important thing in life. But I would say that actually more important than peace is purpose. Because some of us would sacrifice some of our peace for purpose. To understand that we really are here on this planet to do something. A very wise man called William Barclay said this. There are two great days in a person's life. The day they're born... In the day they find out why. Isn't that epic? And everyone in here, I'm sure you can point to a birth date and you celebrate a birthday. But more important than that, I think we need to have a why day. And I pray for some people either watching here or in this room right now, that you will have a why day in your life today if you've never had one before. We'll talk about stronger purpose. And where does that begin with? Well, first of all, it starts with this. We realize that we were born for someone, that we need to find our creator. And we believe as Christians that our creator is God himself. We are not the result of an accident. That God himself had an absolute design and had a plan in creation. So who is this creator? Maybe you're in this room and you don't even know who he is. Maybe you don't even believe in God. The great news is he believes in you. So number one about our creator, he's already involved everyone. God's already involved in your life. There's a great verse, and it comes from the book of Romans that was written by the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul sends out this, what I would call an incredible tweet, okay? He says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That when we weren't looking good, when we were all messed up, not when we were at our best, but actually when we were at our worst, as we were sinners, okay, on the dark side of feel, okay, what did God do? He loved us, and he actually gave us a demonstration of this by sending his son, Jesus. Let me help you on this point by reading out just a short illustration. It says, a woman accompanied her husband to the doctor's office. After his checkup, the doctor called the wife into his office alone. He said, your husband is suffering from a very severe stress disorder. If you don't follow my instructions carefully, your husband will surely die. Each morning, fix him a healthy breakfast. Be pleasant at all times. For lunch, make him a nutritious meal. For dinner, prepare an especially nice meal. 
How many guys would like this stress disorder right now? We can pray for you at the end of service. Don't burden him with chores and don't discuss your problems with him. It will only make his stress worse. Do not nag him. And most importantly, make love to him regularly. If you can do this for the next 10 months to a year, I think your husband will regain his health completely. On the way home, the husband asked his wife, what did the doctor say? She replied, he said, you're going to die. (laughs) You're going to die. It's over. It's finished. There is a solution. I'm not getting involved. (laughs) What an example, actually, of what God did for us. He understood the cost that was involved. And everyone, that cost of getting us back to incredible spiritual health from actual spiritual death was the sacrifice of his son. And I'm telling you good news today that God's already involved in your life through the cross of Jesus Christ. The next thing is that God's not lost. Realizing we're born for someone and finding our creator. Well, actually, he's not lost. It's sort of we're the lost ones. About four years ago, we were on holiday in Atlanta, and it was like the middle of the summer, a July day, and we as an Irish family made a silly mistake. We decided to go to Six Flags Park, okay, on a roasting day. The only thing that I could liken it to was a human barbecue. We were all on the fire, everyone, just getting frazzled. And it was a long day, and come about 5 p.m., we thought, we need to get some food in us. But it just so happened that every other family in the park had the same idea. And we went over to the food zone, and it resembled a small nation, okay? But suddenly, in the midst of it, you know, and it was either the favor of God or the luck of the Irish, an empty table appeared. How many parents know how that feeling is in life, okay, when that appears? Well, I just like put my second boy, Dan, on the table with a plastic fork, and I said, guard this with your life. Put up an Irish flag and claimed it in God, okay? And my wife, she said, I'm going to go over like, to the little western shows, just over to the side of the two smaller ones. And my older boy went with me. Well, we went and joined the line in Canada, everyone. It was so long, okay? We need to bring our passports just to get in the line. And eventually, we got some food, and we came back over to the table, and we just couldn't find Dan. How many parents know that when you find a table like that, you never forget it? Like, it's in your GPS, it's in your sat-nav, you know where it was. Well, you know what? My boy's no longer at this table, but at the table is a healthy American family. And I think, they've eaten my kid. Just eating him. He just thought, you know what, we're not going to join the line. We'll just eat him. And, uh, and he's, he's like nowhere. I can't see him anywhere. And I'm like walking then over to his mom. And I said to Isabel, I said, is Dan here? I thought maybe he got bored. He'd walked over. And she said, no, I left him with you. I said, no, I left him with the table. And parents, that moment of panic, isn't it? That moment of panic. What on earth has happened? And then I just handed Isabel the tray. And I said, I know where he is. It was that epiphany. I know where he is. And I took off running everyone. And how many guys know how embarrassing it is to run at full rate, okay, with flip-flops on? I mean, that's really, 
that's a bad YouTube video, okay? And I'm like bombing through the park. I'm absolutely flying. It's like a born identity, you know, and I'm bouncing people out of the road. A full action movie. I know where I'm going. How do I know where I'm going? How do I know where Dan is? Well, at the beginning of that day, when we had first gone into the park, okay, we're wise parents. They just wanted to run off everywhere to the biggest, fastest ride, but we grabbed them, put hands on them, and I said, here, right at the front of the park, there are three seats here. Look at the three seats. They're looking at the three seats. Ignore that seat. Ignore that seat. Look at the middle seat, okay? Look at the middle seat. If you get lost today in this park, come back to the front of the park, and don't sit in that seat. Don't sit in that seat. Sit in the middle seat. If there's a white heard granny sitting on the middle seat move her over and pray for her later it is God's will for your life that you sit in that seat I went storming through the park with my flip-flops and a very silly run and I went to the front of the park I got to the three seats I looked at the middle seat and guess who's sitting in the middle seat everyone it's my boy Dan that smart Irish kid is sitting there and we have that moment of, I love you, I, I'll never leave you again. Why did you leave the table? And uh, <laughs> it's all going on. Why am I telling you this story? Because everyone in this room watching online, it is a common thing across humanity. We've got a sin problem. We've got a lost problem. Every single person, the Bible makes it clear, we are lost outside of the cross of Jesus Christ. We've got a sin issue that separates us, that causes us to get lost continually. And you might say, but I'm not that much of a sinner. I know I've never joined Al-Qaeda. I'm not, I'm not a serial killer. There's no bodies in my back garden. I've never wanted to kill a few, but I've never followed through, okay? I've never done that. I mean, I'm, I'm not a big sinner. But just work with me on this in a second. A little sin is like being a little pregnant. <laughs> Actually, you're a lot of pregnant, <laughs> And sin is sin, everyone. There's no like God banking it up. And you know, it's not like that. And guess what? We get lost. But what God has done through the cross, God has left us a seat. So that when we realize we're lost, he set up the cross, everyone. And he has put that in history. And he said, no matter what generation, culture, ethnicity that you are from, if you get lost and when you realize you're lost, you know where you can come back to the cross of Jesus Christ. And so if you're lost here today and you're thinking, I want to find the cross. Where is the cross? Do I need to get a ticket to Jerusalem? God's made it really easy. If you want to find the cross, just fall to your knees and you're right there. That is the way God has made it. When we come with repentance, when we come with humility, we just find God. The next one is this. He's extreme makeover. When you get to know God, it's not like, you know, some sort of another self-help course. Everyone, he wants to take over because he is Lord and he is God. He's absolutely everything. Extreme makeover. My father was 16 years old, living in Belfast, and a wise man said to him, 
You need to leave Belfast and the best thing you can do with your life is join the Royal Marines. And he did that. And he was in the Royal Marines for nine years. And he became what we would call back home a bit of a lad. You know, I thought he was a tough guy. And he, uh, any Marines in here? Good, I'm feeling safer already. I'm feeling safer. And, uh, and so he was a bit of a lad and actually became the middleweight boxing champion of the Navy and got himself a tattoo and, and all of that. My mother was impressed, and so she married him. And uh, No, I think she felt sorry for him. And she married him. And, uh, and so she moved also to England and he was able to see the world and all of those things. But one night when he was on duty, a naval missionary came in and spoke to him about Jesus and about some of the stuff we're talking about now. At first, my father just dismissed him. And then this guy came back a week later. And my father, 23 years old, gave his life to Jesus. Just surrendered, fell to his knees, found a cross, all of that. And surrendered his life to Jesus. He went home and told my mother. And you know what? My mother was not pleased. <laughs> my mother, because religion was her turf. But everyone, that's all she had. She just had rules and regulations. She'd never had a living relationship with Jesus. My father got that. And you know, he said it was instant transformation, extreme makeover. All his old swearing and cussing just went. All the old desires just went. He, you know, didn't go on a course. Just God moved in his life. Well, after that, my father moved back to Northern Ireland. And in 1969, he joined the police. And it just so happened in that year as well that our country fell into almost like a mini civil war. It was so difficult. We called it, and it's known now as the Troubles, when Protestant and Catholics started to fight enormous pain throughout our community. Well, it happened the same year as my father joined the police. And we try not to blame him. It was just a coincidence, Okay. Um, and my, when I was six years old, I remember coming home from school one day. I was walking with my brother, and we were about to go into our home, okay, and walk up our garden path. But a neighbor from across the road said, you need to come with us today. Because your father's had an accident at work. And normally you think, maybe cut his finger, stubbed his toe. But this was a serious accident. He was in plain clothes as a detective in an unmarked car. And he saw in front of him a VW camper van. You know like one of those hippie vans that you want to go to San Francisco in with flowers in your hair? I feel like singing right now. I won't. And, uh, and so he followed the van and it had been, turns out, it had been involved in a bank robbery. It was a terrorist group doing some fundraising. And uh, they... Uh, they... They give pursuit, had called for backup. The van uh, went into a cul-de-sac, had nowhere else to go. And the occupants got out and started running away. My father raised his gun and said, halt or I'll fire. A police Land Rover that had been called for backup came round. These are large armor-plated vehicles. Two police officers in the front, they recognized my father. But things had descended at that time in the country into such a difficult situation. We actually had the military as well on the streets to try and preserve some sort of calm. In the back of that Land Rover, there was two young soldiers, only 18 years old. One of them had the most powerful rifle in the world at that time, an SLR rifle. Looked at my father in ordinary clothes with a gun and thought he was a terrorist. Shot him from a distance of 13 feet. The bullet went straight into his chest, out the other side, almost severed his arm from his body. Everyone, I don't know how he lived. It was the grace of God that that man survived that at that time. But do you know that out of that incredible trauma, God started to move in, in our family. My stubborn mother, 
She surrendered and gave her life to Jesus. We as children as well give our lives to Jesus. My father's brother, okay, his youngest brother, he had gone the other way. He had ended up as a terrorist himself. He came to Jesus as well at the beginning of a long-term prison sentence. Got baptized in prison. Everyone, it was extreme makeover. When Jesus comes into your life, everyone, he takes over. So don't just think that you can remain the same. You see, he wants to be your savior when you come to the cross. You want to get rid of your past, but if you don't want to repeat it, he needs to become your Lord and your God. And some people say to me, I've got a private faith. I find that a little weird. You see, I don't have a private marriage. I don't make my wife, Isabel, would you just walk 10 feet behind, darling, and uh, while I take my ring off? That would be sort of weird. See, I don't have a private thing. You know what that's called? That's called an affair. I'm not having an affair with Jesus, everyone. I'm having an open relationship with him. He's the Lord of my life. Yes? It's extreme makeover. So, where do we go from here? We realize that we were born for someone. And as soon as we realize that, then we, then we realize this, that we're born for something. A lot of people try to discover their thing instead of their person. It's only God can introduce you to your purpose in life. You realize then you're born for something and you begin then to embrace your calling in life. Here's a really cool verse. If you've never heard this before, you need to get a hold of this. Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says this, that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus, listen to this, to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. How cool is that, everyone? You see, some people just think in life they were an afterthought. See, with God, you were his first thought. Before he ever made the world, guess what? He was planning you. Come on, everyone. He would, self-esteem should be rising in this room at this moment in time, okay? I mean, God, I'm that important, okay? I mean, President Obama might not know me, but you know what? I was in God's mind from eternity, everyone. It's pretty cool. So let me help you to try and illustrate this, okay? Um, one of the, the greatest guys ever to come out of, a, out of America was a man called Michael Phelps. How many people have heard of Michael Phelps, okay? The swimmer. Man, can that guy swim, okay? Well, look at me. I'm not a swimmer, everyone. I, I'm not a swimmer. And I will never make the Irish Olympic swimming team. But I really want you to work with me here, okay? About 44 years ago, between my parents, there was a moment of passion in the McCourt household. Are you working with me here, everyone? And I went off on a swimming race. <laughs> are you with me? Yeah? Some guys are going, well, what's he talking about? Okay. Ask your wife later, all right? <laughs> I went off on a swimming race. Now here, everyone, this is not like one of those 12-lane swimming races. Listen, there was 250 million of us in that race. <laughs> 250 million of us. And like just after a couple of minutes, I'm still going, but some of them are just going, nah, I just... They're just like, yeah, I give up. I'm just going to give up. I, but I kept from crawl. I just kept going. I kept going. I, I remember all of this. And I just kept going. 
and kept swimming and kept moving and kept going for it. And, and then, and then everyone, and then it was like the first decision I ever had to make. First decision I ever had. To, and you never thought you would ever say this in church, but you're going to say it today. Everyone join with me and say, fallopian tubes. <laughs> and I, I had to just like put the brakes on. I was at a junction. I'm going left, right, which one? And I don't know if I went left or right, but I got the right one and I got through everyone. I got, I got through. And I got into the egg and I was like, yeah, everyone else. And I won a swimming race. I won a swimming race. Thank you. And guess what? So did you. That was a, it, it was a completely different race than that, sure. I, I just, just, let's really think about this for a second. Before you got into this world, you beat 250 million. You were born and you've nothing to prove. And some of us were born into what we would say, and you shouldn't say it about yourself, but our society might say losing circumstances, but you were always born a winner. You made it. You got into this world. And God's got a plan for your life, everyone. And he put you together. It's what David says, that when I was in my mother's womb, he knit me together. You ever thought of God knitting? Jehovah knitteth, I am the Lord that knitteth thee. <laughs> I'm going to claim that promise. God knitting. Gabriel, give me another leg. <laughs> God put your personality, he made me Irish, isn't that incredible? He made you, you. Your own uniqueness. And do you know what we've got to start doing? Just celebrating that. Hear this. You make a terrible somebody else. You make an incredible you. And we were born with talent in our lives. God put talent into our lives. And I want to encourage you with this. Can you stop comparing yourself with other people? And just like start being yourself. Just recognize what talents you have in life. Begin to celebrate them. There's a parable in the Bible. It's called the parable of the talents from Matthew chapter 25. And I remember one time meeting a guy in the previous church that I worked in and, and city, it was the city of Derry called, or Londonderry. And it really had suffered terribly through the troubles. Some of you might know of a song by U2 called Sunday, Bloody Sunday. And it was about an atrocity that happened in that city. And I've not got to know a guy called Paddy Doherty. Paddy Doherty, his nickname, or he was really known as Paddy Bogside. And he was 80 years old, had been born in the Bogside area where actually Bloody Sunday had happened. And he was one of 13 children, okay? First up, best dressed. You know, there was that sort of idea, okay? And Paddy was just a remarkable guy who became a civil engineer. And through his skills in life, he actually was able to rebuild every building that had been bombed in the city center of Derry. 
I mean, guys, it was like a war zone. One of the buildings we used to use was bombed 25 times in 23 years. It was crazy. And Paddy would take people out of, when they came out of prison, would try and teach them trades and get them to do something useful. I was one time talking with Paddy and with a friend, and my friend said to him, Paddy, what caused you to rise above your peers? What caused you to, you know, in the midst of poverty, difficulty, you know, with all a large family, what caused you to push through? He said, the answer is simple. He said, we used to get taken along to mass every weekend. And he said, we couldn't understand all of it then because the majority of it was in Latin back in those days, but the scriptures were always read in English. And I always used to listen out as a little boy. And he says, I still remember the day when the priest read out Matthew 25. And this is the power of God's word, everyone. Matthew 25 about the parable of the talents. Yeah, one guy buried his talent because of fear and intimidation. But you know what? The other couple of guys, they doubled their talents. This is what Paddy said as a little boy in St. Eugene's Cathedral in Derry. He said, God, I promise you that before I die, I will double everything that you've given me. Isn't that precious, everyone? God, I want to say this here. God's given you talent. Stop comparing yourself with others. You know what sometimes hold us back? It's like watching athletics. You ever, when you watch the athletics, you see it coming up on the screen flashing, W-R. What does it mean? World record. We get intimidated by people who either get a WR or an OR, an Olympic record. World record, Olympic record. I'm never going to get a world record. I'm never going to get an Olympic record. I'm just going to give up. No, everyone. There's another thing that flashes up on the screen sometimes, and it's called PB. What does that mean? Personal best. Do you know what God wants us to do? Our personal best. God's not judging you according to anybody else. God just wants you to have the faith, to acknowledge the talents that he has given, celebrate them, and use them for his glory. How many people would like to double their talents for God's glory? Yes? Well, let me encourage you. One way of doing that is by taking your talents and getting involved in training. It's one thing to have a talent, but actually for it to be used, we've got to get the muscles in our talents working. Billy Graham, the great evangelist, said this. He said, if I had one year to live, if I knew it only one year to live, he said, I would spend six months of it in training and six months of it in action. Training is that important. And I'm indebted to you as a church. You may not realize this, but your pastor, Greg, he's he's a big deal, everyone. He is a proper big, he'll never get up and say that, I'm a big deal. But he is a big deal, okay? And, but more importantly, he's a big blessing. And he has come to Europe, come along to Ireland with just a humility about him. And he's come with an open heart. And I want to encourage you, I want to thank you as a church. He represents your church so well. He represents the ARC movement brilliantly. He comes along with this big open heart and just said, I want relationship with you. And we just love getting to hang out with Pastor Greg. We have a lot of fun, but it's more than that. He also comes along with a great head. And what the ARC offers is a fantastic training method that allows guys and girls in Ireland to have the best possible chance of succeeding in the world of church planting. And do you know where that comes through? Training. They've got a talent, they've got a passion, but actually that's not enough. I don't know if you've ever heard this said before, but do you know that habit 
is greater than desire? How many people have had great desires in the past? How many people joined the gym in January? Yeah? And you were in McDonald's in February. <laughs> How many people? See, habit is always greater than desire. It's great to have desire, but if it's not matched with habit, it'll never actually become something. I want to say this. Training is so important. So get your talents, and then get your training in life. Acknowledge that. And you know what begins to happen? Something begins to happen over time. A theme begins to emerge. C.S. Lewis, who happened to be born just literally a stone's throw from our church, the great C.S. Lewis, he says this, every life is comprised of a few themes. I'm going to ask you, what are the themes of your life? You might have great talent, but what are you putting those talents into? What is the theme that's emerging about your life. I said earlier on about Pastor Greg, he has many, many talents, but he's focused it into a few themes, and that is being a great pastor, but also being a father in the nation of church planters. That's not a bad thing to be remembered for, is it? That's pretty cool, everyone. What is your theme? Well, it all comes again through the talents and through the training And I want to say some of it is natural and some of it is also like what I would call prophetic. My little girl, Abigail, was born. Father's joy, that's what her name means. I just felt that from the beginning that her life would be marked by mercy. And everyone, she is just full of compassion. She plays the piano as well. And she's very, very musical. And I ask her to play Adele for me, okay? How many people, you all know Adele? You know the English girl that keeps coming over here and stealing all your Grammys and going home? That, that's her. And Abigail will sit there and play on her piano. And you, you, you know, as a parent, your heart is bursting. And she's playing Adele. And you know, you know the why Adele's so successful? Well, yeah, she can sing up very well. And she can write great songs and all of that. But you know what she does? Her last two albums have really come out of a place of tremendous brokenness in her life. And I think we all get Adele because she gets us. Because let's be honest, on the inside, we're all a little bit broken. Or are you Americans all just together? (laughs) This is what we say. We're all in recovery. Yeah? We're all in. And when I look at my little girl and she's playing Adele and she's playing that, I see this... I don't know what she's going to do with her life right now, but I see a theme. Do you see what I'm saying? I see a theme emerging in her life. And I want to encourage you. You don't need to be like anyone else. You need your own theme. There's a guy called Eric Little. And he was like the Usain Bolt of his day. His life was made famous through the uh, the movie Chariots of Fire. In the 1924 Olympics... He didn't get to run his chosen race, the 100 meters, because of religious reasons. And he said, I'm going to run the 400 meters. And not only did he win Olympic gold, he broke the world record. They called him the Flying Scotsman. And this is what he said about his life. He said, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Isn't that beautiful? And I want to encourage you. What is it that you do? That when you do it, you just feel the pleasure of God. You see, when I run, I feel pain. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. He felt pleasure. I know. Hey, see what I'm doing right now, everyone? This is not a job. This is a dream come true. See, when I do what I'm called to do, I feel the pleasure of God in my life. What is it that you do that you know rightly when you sit down to paint? Yes? See, when I sit down to paint, I feel people's laughter. (laughs) But when you sit down to paint, you feel the pleasure of God. You're here and you're a first grade teacher and you stand up in front of your class and you've got up early and you've prayed for them before you left for school that day. You're an educator. And maybe the whole world is not looking at you, but when you teach and when you educate, you feel his favor. When you're involved in politics, you feel his favor. When you're in the banking industry and you're trying to bring in new ethics and live out God's glory and you're trying not to get people into debt but out of debt and you're trying to actually get people a better standard of living when you do that you know what you're bringing the kingdom of God everyone and you feel the pleasure of God and the theme of your life begins to emerge the last bit everyone it's the hardest bit knowing my talents is quite easy great at that. I'm good at that. I'm 43. I know what I can do now. I've got my talents in training. They're doing push-ups every morning. I've got them on steroids. Sugar-free talents. Got them working out. And people are beginning to say, oh, Andrew, you're so good at that. So good at that. That's wonderful. That's so great. And then I'm going, God, it's not happening. You ever felt like that? Lord, everything seems to be lining up. But Lord, come on, open the door. Heard a guy recently say that uh, he had a dental appointment. And like a true Christian and what Jesus would do, he turned up five minutes early. His appointment was at 3.30. He was there at 3.25. I know you would all do that. Yes, you'd all be there. And uh, he's there at 3.30, 3.40. He's still waiting four o'clock he's still waiting there's only so many times you can read the magazines isn't that right there's only so many times you can do that by 4:10, eventually the dental assistant walks in and says sir it's your turn and he goes in <laughs> but you can't complain in the dentist because you're lying with your mouth open and they're doing stuff but he says at that moment he has that little epiphany he has that little revelation where he thinks I turned up on time, but I still needed to wait my turn. And do you know what that sounds like? God. And some of you right now, you're sitting in the great waiting area of God. And you know what? You've got your talents ready. You've got them training. And everyone's saying you're brilliant. But God's saying... And you said, I'm on time. I'm on time, God. I'm right here. And God said, just wait your turn. Just wait your turn. And can I encourage you? We all need the great waiting area of God. Because that's the place where character and maturity are forged. And can I just speak grace over your life and say, you know what? Sit back and enjoy that seat. 
Because God's timing is perfect. Ecclesiastes 4.11 says this, that he has made all things beautiful in its time. Isn't that beautiful? I'm going to ask you to pray with me now. Because you close your eyes, bow your head. I'm going to ask you to do something simple here. Would you just put out your hands in front of you? I'm not going to make you do the river dance or anything like that. You're going to, it's all cool, okay? But just set them out in front. It's like a sign of surrender to God, yes? I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus. I just pray for anyone in here or on another campus or watching online who's never really found you, never realized that they're born for someone. I pray right now, Jesus, that the light of the gospel would flood their souls. And Lord, speaking like this, that they would fall to their knees and find you at the cross, find forgiveness find their maker right there. And I pray as well, Jesus, for anyone else, Lord, who's found their maker, but maybe struggling, Lord, to find that thing that they were born for, their calling in life. I just pray right now, Lord, that the revelation of the talent that you've placed in them would unfold in their mind. Lord, that you would connect that, Lord, to really good training in life. And I pray as well, Lord, that themes would emerge, passions, desires, a new story would just unfold in their lives. But everyone, let's connect with this. Lord, as we wait in the great waiting area of God, we're ready to wait for our turn. Come on, everybody. Can you join with me and just simply say, my times are in your hands. Just confess that to God. Lord, my times are in your hands. And we trust you, Lord Jesus. Amen.